What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. On The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. Let's kick it off with Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one, from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. This is a continuation of the Superman Son of Kal-El book that Tom Taylor also wrote, but it is definitely a big news story that is thrusting John Kent into the middle of the DC multiverse. He is dealing with Ultraman, the man who trapped him in a lava flow, I guess is the best way to put it, for most of his childhood. He lost his childhood with his fam because Mm -hmm. of Ultraman. There you go. So it's a big personal thing, but it's also beginning the road to injustice, which is going to work the Injustice Superman and Justice universe, which Tom Taylor previously wrote for a very long period of time, into the main continuity. So lots of big, exciting things going on here. Justin... We've been loving this title for a while. Do we still love this title? We do still love. We love. Uh, This comic just keeps being great. And, you know, the anti, maybe this is just my, like, uh, observation of how the different, the story keeps sort of progressing. But the anti feels like it keeps going up. And like we're into a multiverse, we're into um, some great reveals here with, uh, I, I won't say, but there's some great reveals at the end of this issue, touching on a lot of uh, disparate points in the DC universe, which feels harder from a writing standpoint, but Tom Taylor makes it seem easy. And the art by Clayton Henry is also great. Totally agree with that. I, again, without spoiling the reveal at the end of the issue, I would say it is wild to me that Tom Taylor continues to find ways of stabbing you directly in the heart using DC yes. Universe continuity. Nah. Every title he does, it's wild, and he does it again here. So this is a great first issue. Even if you haven't been reading the previous iteration of this title, you can jump right in here. You'll get exactly what's going on, even with all the deep continuity stuff. Great issue. Great stuff. Let's move on to one that I was very interested to check out. Predator number one from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Netho Diaz. Now, there was a previous Predator series that came out, the first Predator series from Marvel, also written by Ed Bryson, which we loved, that followed a young girl who had watched her family killed by Predators and then vowed her entire life to hunt down the Predator who killed her family. Ultimately, at the end of that previous series, she did that. And so I was surprised to see that they were rebooting the series. I'm going to give yeah. a spoiler now. Yeah, I was going to say, great. Yeah, I'm going to give a spoiler warning right here. So the concept of this book, for the large majority of this issue, is essentially like Hunger Games, but with predators, where a bunch of people wake up. They're clearly been cryogenically frozen from different time periods and put in a gaming preserve by these predators to be hunted by them. The twist at the end is, oh, wait, this is not a new series. The same woman who had been hunting predators earlier and was a girl in the a young girl or like in her early 20s here is now older and back and in this hunting preserve with them and does a classic come with me if you want to live. I was already in on this when the way Ed Bryce was writing this. I was like, all right, I'm bummed to lose her. And it's weird that they're rebooting this after six issues. But I like this concept. This works as Hunger Games with Predators. But that twist at the end, I was like, 
You son of a bitch, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you emailed to Ed Bryson, right? Exactly. Um, uh, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Theta Berwick is the name that's of right. the uh, woman. And uh, great reveal at the end. I also, the premise of this, what's great about Predator, the movie, is it's all these people are just like there and then they fight. And it's like there's not a lot of, they're all like, what are we doing here? This is weird. And then it just happens. And I feel like Ed has done a great job of bringing that mentality here. All the characters eventually get together and they're like, how do we get here? And none of them understand it. The, the premise is laid out. They were cryogenically frozen from different time periods. There's no time travel per se here. But they're all like, what? And then several of them are wrong about what's happening. And then they're all like, what year? Like, no one. It's just such a funny. It feels, even though it's a complicated premise, it feels like the original Predator movie. We're like, all right, let's go fucking die, I guess. (laughs) I totally agree with that feeling there. And that's, it felt like, for the most of the issue, the tonal opposite to the first series, which had this crazy strong emotional hook to it throughout the six issues and super simple idea a very Mm -hmm. simple clean premise exactly and then here we're getting like a bunch of people in the jungle who are being hunted by predators i was like all right we're back to the first movie that's fine i enjoy this but it's much more than that well let me ask you this though so if this premise bears out and is real which predator is charged with organizing the cryogenically sealing of all these people at different time periods? Is there like a like One a nerd predator? Yeah, is there a dork predator who's like I'll book the you're, cryo you're thinking, chamber? You're thinking of like Gremlins too with the business Gremlin, the guy yeah, exactly. Well, I want to meet business predator <laughs> who just has just like wait, pens. Issue three, man, is going to blow your mind. But, <laughs> yeah, this is great predator. if you didn't read again. If you didn't read the previous series, it's okay. You could jump right in this you might not necessarily get the cliffhanger but at the same time great first issue totally bloody exactly what you want from a predator book let's turn to one of my favorite issues of the week stoneheart number one from image comics by emma kubert emma kubert is a third generation kubert you probably know the name very well but this is her first solo title i believe and it is a fantasy book that initially follows this one character who essentially is being excommunicated by her order is -hmm. the way that I take it. And this whole section of the beginning is in black and white. Spoiler here, and it's a weird thing to give a spoiler warning for, but I was very surprised by it. Almost 10 pages of the book, it switches into color. And then we follow this different character who clearly is having dreams or commuting in some way with this other character, or maybe in fact is this other character right. after she is excommunicated. So there's a mystery there, but she is earnest and coming to this new town and adorable. And I, I don't know. I was very into, I'm already into Emma Kiebert's art because she does a great job there and she's really paying off of the family name. But at the same time, I think this is an interesting fantasy premise that she pays off really nicely, and it's a lovely mix of tones. We get totally wizarded of Oz uh, here at the uh, in the mid- midpoint. But I, when I was reading this, I knew you were going to love it, and here's uh-huh. why. Because here's what the premise is boiled down. Felicity meets Game of Thrones. I was like, Alex is going to fucking love this book, and it's true. <laughs> it's I can't believe you shouted out on the live show. I almost called you out, but I didn't want to get no, into you're it. No, you were 100% right. <laughs> I knew you were going to love this. It's so funny. And it, it does. It works. The art is super interesting. It's in the the Kubert family line. It's definitely different. 
Uh, it's like much there's a lighter tone to all of it, which is very cool, but still hitting the action notes in a great way. So don't think it's just another um, Hubert doing a similar style. It definitely feels really original to Emma, and it's it's a fun book. Totally agreed. Very excited to follow this one. Thank you for calling me out. Let's move on to talk about The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number six, from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Carmine G. Gian Domenico, and Francesco Francovia. So this is following the story of these two Jokers, one in Gotham, one in Los Angeles. Who is the real Joker? We don't necessarily know, but they're both leaving a path of destruction in their wake. We are following what we assume is the real Joker over in Los Angeles. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Who is trying to make his way back to Gotham City. And while he's doing it, he is causing a riot in Los Angeles. Another great, bloody, twisted issue of this book. Um, the the first five, six pages of this book does something I'm always asking for with Joker. It puts him in a comedy club and just gets the comedy side going. And this uh, stand-up comedian really roasts the Joker, like yeah. successfully, and pays a bummer price for doing so. <laughs> um, but I will say he Wait, went too I far. Can just interrupt for a second? Yeah. Uh, what I love about that scene is we as readers know, and he as a comedian knows – He's not making it out of this. Like, yeah. this is, he is going to die. It's just a question of when. And the way that Matthew Rosenberg writes this scene in this comedy club is like, there is an inevitability there, but he stretches it out to a point where you're like, oh my God, when is this going to happen? Just yeah. do it. Just like, do it already. We know it's the, coming. 100%. The amount of jokes this guy gets in before he gets uh, wasted is uh, very funny. I will say, the bow tie on the comedy person. I was like, have you seen a stand-up comedian uh, lately? Because there's bow ties are not um, hanging. Yes. Uh, I also love the backup stories by Francesco Francovia. What I have instructed, I want to throw a theory out at you. The yeah. last, the last issue or maybe two issues ago kind of had, uh, you know, not just broke the internet, but like broke Fox news in terms of yeah. Joker getting pregnant through Zutana, I believe there was like a whole clay face, clay baby thing going on, and that's actually what it was. Here we get another twist of like two Jokers. There's two Jokers who are brothers, and one takes over after the other one dies is the story. My theory here with these backup stories is it's Matthew Rosenberg essentially working through all of our theories about what could be going on with these two right. Jokers. Yeah. And being like, here's a possibility. That's not what it is. Here's another possibility. Not going to be that thing either. So whatever it eventually is, I don't think it's going to be any of these things. But like the Joker, he's toying with us. Yeah, um, agreed. And I think that's really cool. Uh, back on the front story, we do – most of the story is spent with L.A. Joker, um, who, uh, like we said, I think is not the actual Joker, um, with some great Sorry, action. L.A. Joker's name is Brett Ratner, just – yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a great 90s slam. Slam back into early aughts. I don't even know. Hilarious. But I love it. It's very L.A. It's well done. There's a great sequence uh, where the Hollywood uh, people who dress up in uh, costumes on the street for, month, for photo money. Great sequence there that's horrifying and funny at the same time. But then we cut briefly to the Gotham Joker who I think we'll find out is the real Joker, and he's being fed squeezed rats by Grundy, uh, by uh, <laughs> Solomon Grundy. And it's great. It's great cutaway. This is such a fun book. Love this book. 
Let's move on to talk about X-23 Deadly Regenesis from Marvel, written by Erica Schultz, who's making a big name for herself right now, particularly over in Marvel. She wrote the Hollows Eve title that we talked about last week. And art by Edgar Salazar. And this is jumping back in time to the Utopia era of the X-Men, where they lived on an entirely different island. And we're getting X-23 show... Showing down, showing down, I don't know what that means, uh, facing down against some shadows of her past. What'd you think about this one, Justin? This book really goes through X-23's history in a uh, very, like, waxing, poetic, nostalgic way, uh, which I, I think is cool. I wish this book had more of a, like, big take on what it was what was happening here i love x23 i feel like the um the x23 series that became wolverine i believe back in the day was the one tom of my taylor favorites. series right? the tom taylor series not to just throw some more love on tom taylor but great series i want to see a little bit more of that flavor in here and i, I feel like we can get there and this this issue is doing a lot of table setting so hopefully we'll get there but um still still into it There's a good villain that is introduced throughout this book that I do think sets things up nicely. But I I agree with you right now, and I don't mean this derogatorily, but it feels a lot like these legacy books that Marvel is putting out, which is usually like Chris Claremont goes back to his favorite era or Peter David is writing the maestro, except you got Erica Schultz, who is this very exciting new talent writing this instead. Um, So, yeah, like you said, I want to see a little more than that nostalgia play here. And I think we're going to get that based on the end. I guess we'll see with issue two. Let's move on to talk about ARC number one from Image Comics, written by Matt Hawkins, Ryan Cody, and Paul Feinstein, art by Attila Rojo. This is another one of these one shots by Matt Hawkins and adding a bunch of company here that is not a sci-fi premise, as I was expecting from Matt Hawkins, but actually a bunch of people who are tasked with taking down ivory smugglers who are taking ivory off of elephants illegally in Africa uh, and getting it back and busting them wide open. And it takes a realistic look at that. I have a bunch of qualms with this book that I'm going to throw out there in a second, but I'm curious, should I do it first? Uh, Yeah, I I mean, sure. I want to hear them. Okay. So here are my qualms with this book is – I guess it's very violent, which is very violent, very violent. And there's a certain sense that I don't think they deal with this book of these guys are basically going like Punisher on a bunch of humans to get back elephant tusks, which feels morally complicated to me, but they're not necessarily dealing with. So, well, and and like, cause that's where I I liked a a lot of this book, but I kept waiting for the sci-fi twist to hit because I was like, man, these these tusks probably have some huge like maybe they power a machine or something or like I thought it was going to be this big like ivory is the most valuable thing because it cures a plague that, that somehow happened. But instead, it's just like, you know, this guy goes hard for poachers. And there is there's so much murder in this. Um, but the storytelling is like it's like a well-made comic, but I, I'm curious what, like, cause there's, there's more to this maybe like where, what, what happens next? No, it's a one shot. So that's kind of it. Here's my other quad I'm going to throw out there. And uh, I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable saying this, but this was my worry. The entire book, it's focusing on these African characters, these black characters who are trying to take down these ivory poachers. It's seemingly delving very much into 
the culture of Africa and these poachers. And I do think this is a real issue that is worth bringing to light. But yeah. I flipped to the last page and they show off the team and I don't want to assume anybody's racial makeup, but just based <laughs> on the pictures, it looks like a bunch of white guys were putting this together. Yeah. And I know we are a bunch of white guys, but that was the thing that I was afraid <laughs> of. And I, I think back to, uh, I don't know if this was the most immediate previous book that Matt Hawkins did, but he did that book about the golem that delved into Jewish culture before this. Again, oh, yeah. Don't know about his makeup or what his cultural background or anything like that, but I was kind of like between feeling a little uncomfortable about how that hit the story being Jewish myself and this not being black, but seeing what looks like a bunch of white guys writing about issues that are taking place in Africa. Even if it's responsibly told, there's a certain level of eh, culturally, maybe you shouldn't be telling these stories yeah. i don't know or bring somebody else on to tell these stories if you think this is interesting just a thought i think that's fair especially when it does feel like it's set sort of in the real world uh it feels like why don't you have like some firsthand storytelling happening here a b i, I thought there was more to this because it feels a very open and ended ending i guess we i won't spoil it but like i was like oh oh okay i guess we don't know sort of the point oh the big bad guy really is at the end of the day yeah but like you said ignoring all of those qualms that i have i think overall matt hawkins and company know how to tell a good story it is an issue that does need to be delved into that is a serious issue in the world so i can't fault it completely for that Static Shadows of Dakota, number two from DC Comics, written by Nicholas Draper Ivy and Vida Ayala, art by Nicholas Draper Ivy. This is continuing the fight of Static against some new enemies that use shadow and darkness. Good opposite for <laughs> Static, uh, but the real, uh, the real, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on the word. The thing that is good about this the, comic, uh, Star. The, the star. real oh, sure the, the real, real star of this book is the art yeah that's what i was going to say uh the art is fantastic um i i also like the story though like this is keeping the brightness of static shock um from um other series the tv show but all adding like a, a sort of a, a dark underbelly the villain feels like really horrifying and doing a good job of really keeping the villain sort of like we don't quite know what's happening yet a little bit like in shadows uh so like and there's also the underlying premise here of like what a boom baby is and how that is is there's a cultural thing happening here with with the boom babies in, in Dakota. So like there's just a lot going on in this book, and I think it's 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 spooled out in a great way. The Amazing Spider-Man number 21 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr. Finally, we are kicking off the arc that is gonna give us some answers about what happened to Mary Jane and Spider-Man when we picked up with number one of this new series. Spoilers here if you don't want to know, but we'll talk through some of the big moments in this issue. But we get to see a little bit of Peter Parker in the modern day and then flash all the way back to the beginning of whatever happened. It involves a scraggly bearded man who attacked both of them and marked them with mystical runes, sent them to... I guess an alternate New York or something like that. So it seems uh, that way. Yeah. I'm going to throw out two contradictory things here. My two contradictory things are one, there are notes throughout the issue that are like, 
This took place in Amazing Spider-Man 888. Remember that? And I was like, I do not. And then later on, they're like, do you remember this arc from Amazing Spider-Man 555 through 557? And I was like, no, I don't. That was what? That was like yeah. a decade and a half ago. Of course, I don't remember that. And I looked back at the, the cover and I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess I remember that a little bit. <laughs> but at the same time, like this is crazy deep continuity stuff. So normally I should hate this because it's impenetrable to a new comic book reader, except what Zeb Wells does, along with John Romita Jr.'s art, which is great, John Romita Jr. art, is there is so much tension in here in terms of what is going to happen and the danger for Mary Jane and Peter Parker that I viscerally felt it emotionally in my chest while I was reading this issue. Wow, what an impact. Uh, I think we all, when we were trying to figure out what the emotional issue that happened between Peter and Mary Jane, we all guessed that the Scribble Man had returned and pushed them into an alternate (laughs) New York uh, where they would have to totemically fight uh, for their lives. So, like, in that way, it really paid off all of our... So many podcasts. So many of our podcasts. Um, So this, I... I really want to get – I'm joking, but I really want to get to that emotional thing that happens because that feels like it has such weight in everything that's come since that that first issue. And I want it to be big. So the fact that we we start with this sort of very intense sci-fi comic book premise, I'm curious how that will be balanced by the emotionality between them. But like you're saying – this is super interesting. The way um, that uh, he sort of Zebwell sort of Dan slotted the continuity into it being like some nice deep refs is cool, and uh, I, I'm looking. I've been very much looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I think as usual, you know, there was a little discussion about John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr.'s art over on our Patreon Slack, and I think. There's stuff where he falls down sometimes now, but it's not Spider-Man books. I love him on Spider-Man books. And like the action sequences here are so dynamic. Loved reading them. Blood Tree, number two from Image Comics, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Maxim Simis. I think that's how you pronounce it. I apologize Mm -hmm. if I got it wrong. But this is a great new crime book that is following two detectives that are investigating a mystery where a guy is killing people then leaving them with seemingly angel wings. Here we get much deeper into the mystery and a lot illuminated about what is happening behind the scenes and why. Again, really good issue. Peter J. Shabasi writes a nice, tight uh, mystery book. It's just a great crime story, a great murder story that I haven't seen. It's really well thought out. The clues that we are getting here are great, and we're also getting a little bit more perspective um, from the murderer as well in a great way. Um, a r- nice art that complements it. I like the way our hero is sort of a little bit messy, has some stuff that is difficult uh, at home that he's dealing with. I imagine we'll play into it. She's got a real nice layered storytelling style here on this book. And I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but the art feels a little more like a slightly more refined, slightly less blocky Michael Avon Oming on powers kind of. Oh so yeah, nice. It's giving me those vibes a little bit kind of mixed with a criminal mixed with a supernatural Peter J. Tomasi story without the actual supernatural elements. Next up, Batman and the Joker, the deadly duo number five from DC comics by Mark Silvestri, Batman and Joker have been forced to team up by a new adversary. That adversary is revealed this issue. 
My big thing with the series, I mentioned this with the first issue, I felt like maybe Mark Silvestri is being over-inked or something like that. I just mm. really I love a Mark Silvestri book, but it felt like maybe he was losing something in the intervening years. Six, uh, five issues in, he's not. Uh, this yeah. is like so whatever, really well done. Uh, totally. Issue. Like whatever the kinks were in that first issue, they have been worked out by this fi- fifth issue. I think morally, I probably have some problems with Batman working with the Joker, but that's sort of the point of the book anyway. So yeah. this is this is working for me. Yeah, there's just great Batgirl stuff in this. Really well drawn Batgirl, I thought. Um, and I think this book, if you love Hush. This is a book for you. Good call. It's, it's so it's so hushy. Um, so get on it if you're just been waiting for your next hush fix. Yeah, there's there's a guy out there who's like, when are they going to yeah. do hush too? The hush is that going to happen? Didn't they do hush? Sort of revisited hush, and it was like not. It was like yeah, a watered down version. Little old woman whispering hush. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Good Night Hush, where yeah. they really got into the, <laughs> really the, the room. If nobody's done that, we really need to very quickly publish that after this podcast. The bowl full of mush is the real killer. Oh, man. The bowl full of pearls, maybe? I don't know. We'll work this Smart. out. We'll work it out in post. Avengers number 66 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Javier Garan. And this issue... I I don't even know where to start. I mean, this is great. I love this crossover, but this is so ludicrous at this point. I was giggling almost every other page as the Avengers continue to face down Mephisto in an armory of Dr. Dooms. This is filling in a little bit of the backstory that led into over in Avengers Forever. Mephisto showing up in giant form and then taking us beyond that moment. This is ludicrous in the absolute best way. They've truly assembled all the Avengers. All your favorites are here. A random Namor. A Galactus. A dude who looks like NFL Super Pro except MLB Super Pro. A Gorilla Captain America. This is truly everything. The celestial base, but with a gun. It's like everything is happening in this comic. We already talked about this a fair bit, but like this is like Jason Aaron pouring out the toy box, smashing all the action figures together, taking arms off certain characters and putting them on other characters, just like we all used to do back in the day. It's fun. (laughs) It's great. Uh, This is a a big Avengers. It's the biggest feeling Avengers story in a long time. It's it's wild, too. It's something that I was trying to work through. Not emotionally, but probably logically, I guess, while reading this issue is at this stage in our development as comic book writers, I kind of usually get annoyed about we're all in a random field somewhere. We're just punching the crap out of each other. And that's the whole idea of this. I'm not annoyed by this. I love this. And I think it is the sense of childlike joy that Jason Aaron is bringing to this crossover where Every detail is just more ridiculous than the last. And I know you mentioned some of them, so I'll just spoil them again. But things like, hey, man, we got another Avenger. You're not going to like this one. It's Galactus. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Hilarious. Or where they're like, okay, we got something else here, actually. It's the Celestial. You know the Celestial we lived in? Well, it's a Deathlock now. (laughs) Yeah. It's just so funny. So funny. And it's so much fun. And it's just like. Sure, let's just keep throwing out all of these ideas, even if it's a slugfest. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know, it feels like 
an improv show in a way where it's just Jason Aaron being like, yes, adding himself constantly. Well, what I was just going to say is it's like if Bill Hader's Stefan from SNL was mm-hmm. designing Avengers <laughs> instead of <laughs> clubs that you go to. That's Hearing you describe it's a death log now. It's like same cadence yeah, as it's Stefan. Got, it's a celestial it's death lock. <laughs> yeah. Galactus is an Avenger now. Yep, absolutely. You're right. It's great. It's so good. This is so good. Uh, and I know I mentioned this on the live show, but I just want to mention for anybody who's like hesitating to read this or maybe anybody who has kids out there, my eight-year-old, I've been taking him to the comic book shop. And this is the thing that he is. I have seen like his eyes light up in the way that my eyes mm. light up back in the day when I was like, comics, these are cool, where there's some stuff that he's super into. And we're going to get to another title that I'm very surprised that he's into later on in the stack. But He's been super into Avengers forever, super into this crossover. Like, this is the thing that he's like, this is so cool. I'm having so much fun. So if you got kids out there, maybe throw them a couple of these books and they'll be into it too. See what happens. Almighty, Almighty number two, excuse me, from Image Comics by Edward LaRoche. We talked about the first issue of this. This is about a woman who is taking another woman on a cross-country road trip to keep her safe from a evil post-apocalyptic biker gang that wants her. We don't get a lot of that gang this issue. And in fact, it turns out there's a lot more civilization than yeah. certainly I thought there was. The bar during... scene is hopping. Let's it just say sure that. It sure is. Uh, what did you think about this one? I like this book a lot. I think the art's really great. And I'm into the world. I like these two characters. You've got like sort of the hardened warrior uh, where there's a lot of mystery surrounding her, but she seems like pretty badass. And then you have sort of the innocent uh, woman that she's trying to to bring to safety. And there's definitely a, 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 some sort of relationship that may be uh, coming to pass here. Uh, and I, it's also very violent, which I don't usually get on for, but I think it's it's supported in the way the the, the book is set up. So I, I like this a lot. I like the art quite a bit as well, and I'm definitely intrigued about the world. This is a bad criticism, but I want more answers a little bit quickly because mm. Like I was intimating here, I was a little confused by the fact that they're like, we got to get away from this biker guy. We got to run as fast as we can. There's nothing around here. We got to go. And this issue, they're like, let's go dance it and hang out and drink hey, and have a good time. You got to party when you party, bro. Come on, I let's guess. go. So I just want a, a better sense of how this world works. And I understand we're getting it by exploring it. But I don't know. I, I just I, I want to know what the rules are a little bit. That's all. Yeah. No. Batman number 133 from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Mike Hawthorne and Michael Mendonca. Talking about rules, that's basically what this arc is in terms of rules of a world. Batman has quote-unquote died and been sent to this alternate universe where Bruce Wayne died. He has become the Batman of this universe and is trying to figure out what is different and what is wrong and how he can make the wrongs right. In terms of Diving into a story of what makes Batman Batman, I think Chip Tuzarski is uh, nailing it. Yeah, this has a little bit of flavor of the Jason Aaron Avengers to it, where it's like, you know, Batman's going to Batman wherever he's got a Batman. And we see a bunch of other characters, including the backup 
um, issue where they're like, look, Toy Man, he's fucked up here too. Uh, Catwoman's sort of similar, but she, it's also with a little twist. I do think we do have another twist coming. He digs up the body of Bruce Wayne, the Bruce Wayne of this world, and come to find out it's not the Bruce Wayne of this world. There's basically only one other character that could be the Bruce Wayne that we haven't found out yet. I think that's uh, probably where we're headed. But um, this is, uh, like, again, a wild arc to just go into. Like, it's Mm -hmm. super, like, a big swing. And uh, Chip Zdarsky just knows how to make good comics. Speaking of good comics, let's turn to what I know is one of your favorite issues of the week, Scarlet Witch. Number three from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by Sarah Pacelli. The concept of the book is Scarlet Witch has opened a shop with a character named Darcy, who you might recognize from the MCU. And people come through the door, they have problems, and she helps them. In this issue, she's teaming up with Lorda, a.k.a. Polaris, a.k.a. her half-sister, and mm-hmm. helping a woman in, not the microverse, but an even tinier universe, perhaps? I like that it was not the microverse, but also very tiny. Yes. This is definitely the sort of thing I read that and I was like, I don't have any frame of reference for this, but this is 100% something from deep continuity that only Steve Orlando remembers because that's what he does. Uh, Yeah, it's literally called, um, well, they call it the Tinyverse. And I don't know if that's the official name or if they're just being a little coy about it, but I thought it was funny they didn't just make it the quantum realm (laughs) given what's going on in our realm. Uh, but I love this book. I love this premise. I think, um, Steve Orlando, Sarah Pacelli are crushing this on both sides. Beyond that, like there's just great heartfelt stuff here. There's from an art point of view, there's great comic book art. And then the style switches to more sort of, um, full page, uh, like plates almost that get into the storybook side of the adventure they go on fun reveal at the end. This is one of my favorite reads uh, right now. It's so good, and I can't believe they've kept it up in this episodic fashion for three issues, which I know sounds like faint praise, but usually with comics, they're like, here's the concept of the first issue. Well, forget about that. Now we're just a comic and we're doing our thing. So the fact that they've kept it with this structure for three issues is really impressive, and I hope they keep it for the entire run. I love this. This also has this incredible splash page structure throughout that I really, really dug quite a bit. Great issue. Last issue here we're going to talk about, not the last issue on the stack, but a last issue, Gospel Number 5 from Image Comics by Will Morris. This is wrapping up the story of our adventurers who are looking to stop the devil as well as the person in what we assume is the modern era who is telling that story. Um, There is a great twist in here that I certainly didn't see coming. Dives in emotionally to the main character. I I loved how this ended. I I like this a lot as well. And there's a, a turnabout that are before the end uh, that our main character does that I thought was cool. It goes against sort of her central operating uh, pr- principle that we've established over the first four issues. Uh, really nice art. This is a fun sort of very different type of story uh, that I just haven't read something like this. It's a little bit I, I've compared it to fables in the past, but it actually I feel like moved away from that and gone into just real character focused storytelling by this last issue. Yeah. Great book. Definitely pick it up when it is released in trade or the single issues. Next up, one that has been extended way past its intended length, Poison Ivy, number 10 from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Mauricio Takara. This is a couple of issues back that it was announced that it wasn't just going to be a limited series. It's going to be an ongoing series. But 
I'm so glad it is because it's they so are, good. Oh my god, they are crushing it. It is dark in this issue. Poison Ivy and her roommate end up going to a goop style retreat. And yeah. it goes, as you'd expect, horribly wrong, but in a way that you won't expect it to go horribly wrong. Another great issue of this book. Yeah, coming off the last issue, which was uh, Harley Quinn-focused and very, like, romance relationship-focused, to get this issue that started in a very different place, was felt very like a, a one-and-done story in the continuing arc, but then, like got into like um, some romance, some like relationshipy stuff at, while then serving the larger sort of scary ongoing premise of the initial uh, series. Like there's just great, a lot of great levels to this book. And the art is also fantastic. It's really good. So good. Silver Surfer Ghostlight number two from Marvel, written by John Jennings, art by Valentin Delandro. This is about Silver Surfer looping back to an old adventure from back in the day. I think they note that it's Silver Surfer number five or something like that. Yeah, that's an old one. Yeah, absolutely. Where this man comes back to life, he and Silver Surfer team up to help face down some enemies, and it works into this family drama at the same time. What did you think about this book, Justin? Really introducing this character, Ghostlight, uh, feels like what is the point of this book. We spent a long time uh, establishing the continuity touch points and building out this character, which does seem interesting, uh, touches on the stranger, right, who is Mm -hmm. um, like this scientist. I thought that felt like very Silver Age weirdness, that this stranger is... Uh, the collective uh, scientific scientific experiences of a planet put together, and now like he's losing his mind because he's, the individual personalities are coming apart at the seams or whatever. So, and that's just an idea on one page. Uh, so it really like gets into some continuity. Silver Surfer hasn't really played a ton into the action, so I would like to see sort of more why this is a Silver Surfer book outside of just the continuity touch points. But I, I like agree it. with that. My big takeaway from this, and this is a weird comparison because I don't think it's exactly the same story, and it's certainly not the same storytelling mode, but it reminded me a little bit of of when they introduced Blue Marvel back in the day, where it's like, yeah. this character's always been here. You just didn't read any of his <laughs> yeah. stories. And it's, granted, Ghostlight has been dead the entire time, but it sort of feels the same thing. We're like, yeah, this guy's always been here. He's one of Silver Surfer's best friends. What are you talking about? It's and, like when you when you meet up with a friend, they're like, yeah, you know, you know Jesse? Yeah, <laughs> Jesse, our friend, we, we met once, like seven years ago, and look at, and it's like, Oh, I I don't remember, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't invalidate the story by any means, because no. particularly Valentin Delandre's art is it's rad. Cool. I yeah. really like looking at that art quite a bit. The kid characters that are working throughout here that give a really different perspective through John Jennings' writing also really works. So I like the story, it, but I agree with you. There is a sense of it's like Silver Surfer is... Uh, This is fine. I mean, it's a business sense, but like it's an entry point to be like, you like Silver Surfer, meet this new character versus if they were just like, meet Goldslight, this resurrected guy you forgot from Silver Surfer number five. You'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. So that's fine. That's what they need to do. It's all good. It's a good book. Rogue Sun, number 11 from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. In this issue, Rogue Sun is trying to get an enchanted feather at the demands of his arch enemy, who meanwhile is back on Earth. 
trying to build who up looks a lot like him who looks a lot like him who is hellbent i think is the name yes who is building up a criminal empire as usual uh, this is my favorite of the massive burps you love this book i do and i'll tell you what not to say that i'm always just thinking about alex when i'm reading comics oh, but i know why you love this book Ooh, here we go because it's like felicity meets what uh close <laughs> this book is riverdale but comics what? because okay it's like it's like um rogue son all this darkness there's like a very clear bad guy but rogue son talks like like a cool teen <laughs> he's just like hanging out like very archie style character and then we're cutting back and forth between like a prom there's it's very like rooted in that stuff but getting into like some like uh gargoyle season gargoyle king season of mm-hmm. riverdale mm-hmm. as i was reading this i was like why is this Alex's favorite? And that was my takeaway. I think you actually said this about the last issue and the actual reason this is my favorite of the massive verse titles is because it is the one that most consistently plays around structurally here. There's a structure that I don't know 100% works, but I appreciate that they tried it where whenever rogue son is in this feather world, the pages are sideways. They're like, they're yeah, horizontal. Because feathers are sideways. Yeah, exactly. They're horizontal on the vertical page versus the stuff having in the real world goes the regular vertical comic book page. So it didn't quite work for me. I think they they could have pushed it potentially even more, but I appreciate that they are doing stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. It felt a little arbitrary. I felt like, what are we going to do for this issue to have it You know what it felt different? like? It felt like to be, uh, not to like backseat or uh, whatever it's called. Uh, backseat drive? Yeah, backseat driver. Front seat navigate? Front seat navigate. Be Oops. trapped in a trunk front, because you're being seat, kidnapped? Front seat driver of the right seat is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, it kind of felt like it needed to be like that Batman issue in the Court of Owls and you kept having to rotate it through this maze mm. as these two dudes were fighting, but they didn't quite go that route. But whatever, great book. <laughs> There we go. I don't know if we gave a review of this, but why don't we move on anyway to Fantastic Four number five from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Fiorello. The Fantastic Four is finally back together. And in this issue, on their road trip across the USA, they are fighting down some dudes, some demons from the dark dimension, I guess. Yo, this is the original bad boy, Nick Scratch, Doug. What are you talking about? It is. It's not the chilling adventures of Sabrina, Nick Scratch, but it is the Marvel Universe, Nick Scratch. And... Spoiler here, he turns their stomachs inside out. (laughs) Yeah, bad boy alert, spoiler alert. Uh, This book, this issue has a very sci-fi premise that Reed Richards full-on has to explain a lot of, which uh, I thought was actually cool. I like Ryan North. I really like Ryan North's writing. Um, Started as a comedy writer. I really loved his work on um, Adventure Time back in the day and other books. And this, like, really leaning into Fantastic Four storytelling has a real grasp of the characters, but we still get some fun comedy moments. Like, they're talking about which restaurant to go to, and we get um, Euros Reborn. Mm-hmm. Shouts to that. Uh, there's another one in there too. Um, Goblin Nation, like Gobbling Nation, mm-hmm. like a lot of fun stuff like that in here. And then turning a very esoteric sci-fi premise into something horrifying by the end of the book, I thought was cool. 
Yeah, it's good stuff. I don't feel like this is as strong as the first four issues, but at the same time, I enjoyed it, and I am enjoying this run. And there's a great panel that Ivan Fiorella does of Reed Richards about three-quarters of the way through the book as he solves this problem that is very, very cool. Yeah. Two Graves, number five from Image Comics, written by Genevieve Valentine, art by Ming Doyle, our main character who has been trekking across the United States with what seems like the specter of death, is very close to her destination. We get a lot of revelations about what is going on with her and what is going on with him in this issue. A lot of the information we have been waiting for is laid out here. Justin, what did you think about this one? I like this. Are we, is the next issue the last issue? It certainly feels that way. It certainly feels that way. I wish, I don't know how to make this an ongoing because the story does feel finite. Um, and I can tell it we're almost at the end because the smoke is coming off the guy's face. There's barely any smoke left on his face. Yeah. Uh, but like I, and I also love the back matter that keeps being included here. Interesting writers doing interesting stories that sort of feel tonally adjacent to the, the book. So I wish this would continue. Maybe we can get more of it somehow. Next up, Mary Jane and Black Cat, number four from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Vincenzo Caruto. This is following Mary Jane and Black Cat, who are still trapped in limbo with Sim, trying to get the Soul Sword at the command of Belasco. They are still in the Dark Web storyline, even if the rest of the line has left it. And this, you know, I that doesn't bother me a bit because this is just good comic book storytelling. And you all know I'm in the tank for Jed McKay's writing, especially the Black Cat stuff. But what I love about this is the revelation at the end of last issue. Mary Jane has these powers that are like, um, as she calls herself, jackpot, I believe, where she sort of uh, runs a, a slot machine. And depending on what comes up, she gets like super great powerful powers or like sort of uh, weak powers if she doesn't get a, a match. And we find out at the end of last issue that the reason – She's been having bad luck with her powers is because Felicia Hardy's bad luck powers are working on her. And why is that weird? Because her bad luck powers only work on enemies. And so why are they enemies? Because Black Cat hasn't told her that she's dating Peter or having a relationship with Peter Parker. The fact that we had all of that fun story and interesting plot stuff tied up in their interpersonal relationship while at the same time we're just meeting like a funny demon and trying to get a sword and there's a bunch of like bad guys here – I just think it's great storytelling. I agree. And you know who else agrees is my eight-year-old, because this is the other title that he is super into and keeps asking about. And I've been trying to figure out what it is, and I think it's ultimately because it's exactly what you're saying. It's easily accessible. These two characters you know from the Spider-Man books anyway. Their characterizations are so clear and the situation is just very simple. It's enjoyable yeah. and it's fun and there's good jokes throughout. And yeah, it's it just was very surprising to me. Like, really? Why do you like this spinoff of the dark web storyline when you haven't been reading or caring about any of the Spider-Man stuff? But it's fun. It's fun to read. I, I feel like your son has this very specific taste and I like how he's being like, nope, I want that one. It is so interesting to watch it develop. I'm sorry to keep talking about it on the podcast, but I just think it's such a fascinating perspective uh, as it is building up. Um, 
Know Your Station, number four from Boob Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Lieta Kangas. This is following this not exactly detective who's trying to solve multiple horrific murders on her space station. I'll throw this out to you, something that crisped in with me reading this issue. This is like the big Lebowski in space. Is that fair to say? (laughs) No. I was going to say, Alex, I know you love this book. And here's what I think it is. No idea. And the fact that you dropped Big Lebowski in space, I I guess it is like she she sort of parties and she's sort of like just doing what she's doing. And she keeps being like, fuck, another dead body. Oh, no. Like the same thing keeps happening to her. Um, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on this story. Um, I really like the world and I like the character, but... I need a. I love when shoes drop, especially the second one. Absolutely. The there is a twist at the end here that seems to defeat the main theory that any thinking person who is reading this book has. So, yep, and that's the I red can, herring. Yes. So we'll see if it's a red herring. We'll see if there's another twist in the next issue. I still really like this a lot. I think Liana Kagas's art is great. I didn't write down the colorist, but the colors are really good on this book as well. And Sarah Galley, the reason I brought up Big Lebowski is it just has this very hangdog, funny, like, well, that's upsetting. There's a guy with his lungs outside of his body. Toad yeah, <laughs> yeah is, it does. I don't know. It's fun to read. It's like stoner. It's stonery. Uh, colors by Rebecca Nolte. Mm, thank you. And last but not least, Bloodline Daughter of Blade, number two from Marvel, written by Danny Lore, art by Karen S. Darbo. I'm very sorry that Pete wasn't here because he was really looking forward to would Blade show up in the next issue, uh, even though it was teased and, in the cover of the issue. Yeah, it was It was teased in the cover. It was teased in the next issue, uh, next issue up. Uh, we said, definitely, you're definitely going to see Blade in the next yeah, issue. And I'll tell you what, spoilers here, Blade shows up. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, Pete. Uh, you were doubtful, but it came true. I mean, this is very Buffy. Mm -hmm. If you like Buffy, uh, but in Marvel, this is the book for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bunch of vampire slayers who are trading and trying to figure out their powers. And that's basically what's going on. So like you said, Buffy last issue, I brought up first kill the Netflix show, but good. I think that reminds me of it even more in this issue. So good stuff. It's fun. I'm having a good time. If you'd like to support our show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Stay felicity, guys. Oh, I love it. I love it.